What happens when humankind runs into an erratic god? Welcome to Kraken Krakoa number 59, where today I'll be exploring a milestone in Marvel mutant history, the infamous Secret Wars 2, and the X-Men's relationship to the event and to the all-powerful Beyonder. Today I'll answer, what happened when the X-Men met the Beyonder in Secret Wars 2, an event that was published in 1985 and into in 1986? What do these encounters have to do with the Hickman era of X-Men and the ongoing Dawn of X comics that are being published and are returning, hopefully, to increase publication here in 2020? Hey, I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. If you like the CBH YouTube channel or podcast, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing. Links to channels and Patreon support are included in the show notes. You can find full X-Men and comic book reading orders, including an all-new Secret Wars 2 reading order in its entirety on ComicBookHerald.com. Spoilers for discussed comics may follow. Why are we talking X-Men Milestones? Well, Marvel's been putting out a collection, a series of trade paperbacks called X-Men Milestones, tackling some of the biggest events typically focused on the X-Men line of comics. Well, I'm also reading through Marvel history as part of the My Marvelous Year Reading Club and podcast. I would highly recommend you check out the pod. You can go to MyMarvelousYear.com if you are so inclined. But we just covered Secret Wars 2 in that podcast, reading through the years 1985 and 1986. We read curated lists of the best Marvel comics of all time. If that sounds appealing to you, again, MyMarvelousYear.com, check it out. But since I'm doing that, you know, I'm picking up a lot of, of reflections on how the history of the X-Men might inform the future. Otherwise, I also don't have as many opportunities as I need to talk about the time Callisto saved Professor X's life and then dressed him up in BDSM gear for his recovery. So back into the past we go. I'll be doing some X-Men milestone series as we read through those in the My Marvelous Year Club, starting with Secret Wars 2. But to get to Secret Wars 2, we have to talk Secret Wars 1. In 1984, Marvel launched a 12-issue standalone event called Secret Wars by Jim Shooter and primarily Mike Zeck on art, bringing a huge collection of Marvel heroes and villains together to fight on the mysterious alien battle world. While here, the Marvel characters are told they've been brought to battle world by a being of immense power, the mysterious Beyonder, he is, you know, they see he's able to stand up to the likes of Galactus with ease, at least until Doctor Doom suckers him into losing his immense power for a time. It's not my focus today, but there are some notable themes for the X-Men in Secret Wars, including continued allied relationships with Magneto stemming from the conclusion of Uncanny X-Men number 150, the X-Men vs. Avengers hostilities and feelings that the human heroes aren't really doing all they can to support mutant kind, and Colossus being the absolute biggest dweeb, and Wolverine and Nightcrawler taking issue with him falling head over heels for Zaji, the mysterious healer, at the expense of, wait, isn't she still too young for him? Kitty Pride. And of course, they have it out on him, uh, and forcing him into a fight with the Juggernaut in a bar later in UXM, but that's besides the point. Enter Secret Wars 2, the sequel event launching later in 1985 and running through early 1986, written again by Jim Shooter, this time with art by Al Milgram. As a whole, I dislike Secret Wars 2 almost exactly as much as I love the original Secret Wars, which is to say Secret Wars 2 currently sits among my 10 least favorite comics of all time. But no, it could not unseat Marvel for the worst comic ever. Secret Wars 2 is all about the Beyonder journeying to Earth to discover his purpose, and it's a bloated monstrosity with tie-ins to nearly every Marvel book at the time to boot. The only things I really like about the main event are the time Spider-Man taught the Beyonder how to poop, the time Beyonder built a machine so he could be his own mom-dad and birthed himself, and the sheer number of Dave panels I get to use for any occasion. To answer Jerry Curl Beyonder's question, no. No, I am not okay, and I will not take it easy while reading Secret Wars 2. 
Amazingly, head of X Chris Claremont takes this premise and the mandate for tie-ins across his X-Men and New Mutants and manages to salvage some pretty good comics and interesting ideas. A few notes up front about this era of New Mutants. Since New Mutants number 18 kicked off the incredible Demon Bear saga, the book's been in the hands of Chris Claremont and Bill Sienkiewicz in what is inarguably my favorite stretch of New Mutants ever. Issue number 30 is mostly focused on Sunspot and Magma's starring turns as Russell Crowe and Gladiator, as well as Dazzler's apparent literal addiction to fame. The Sienkiewicz Gladiator monsters are worth the price of admission alone. More interestingly, things kick off with the New Mutants, Kitty Pride, and Rachel Summers sent to Limbo at the Beyonder's behest following Secret Wars 2, number 1. There are a couple really important developments here. One, the New Mutants are becoming fully aware of Ileana's Dark Child persona, and the demonic part of herself she's been keeping at bay until the Beyonder set it off. Again, this is not a thing that was known to the team just immediately after her um, you know, capture and, of course, time spent in limbo with the demon Blasco. And two, we learn of the connection between Ileana and Kitty Pride that allows Kitty to wield the Soul Sword and take on Ileana's Eldritch armor. Eldritch here being the endlessly overused way to say magical in Marvel Sorcery literally every time it comes up. Why does this matter? Well, the threat of Ileana's Dark Child persona and the demonic threats of Limbo will come into play in a big way in 1989's Inferno event, a milestone we will definitely be covering on here, and have been teased heavily as very relevant historical details in the Dawn of X. From everything from Sinister Secrets illusions to Inferno to the return of Madeline Pryor in the pages of Helions. Helions. I can do it. If you watch my ex- Ten of Swords theories, you know I think there's a strong chance elements of Inferno will play a role in the upcoming crossover. I'll also admit, at this point, I'm unclear if the Dark Child is still a part of Ileana in 2020, or actually if she even still has her Soul Sword. This could easily just be something I've overlooked, but if not, there's definitely more to that story there. Uncanny X-Men number 196 is another early loose tie-in to Secret Wars 2, setting the stage for Rachel Summers' major role as a core protagonist against the Beyonder's all-powerful whims. While she technically debuts in Uncanny 141 and 142, the Days of Future Past story, Rachel is relatively new to the X-Men at this point in their history, the daughter of Scott Summers and Jean Grey from what has now been revealed as an alternate past. Emotionally, Rachel's dealing with a lot, from the traumatic life experience in Days of Future Past to finding out in this reality her mom is dead, and her dad is married to a dead ringer lookalike currently pregnant with a baby boy. It's a little weird. The issue opens with one of my favorite John Romita Jr., Dan Green, Glennis Oliver, and the King Tom Warzakowski splash pages, showing a startled Professor X overhearing some Columbia University students plot to assassinate him. Stuff like this, really everything to do with Charlie Ballgame, is fascinating in the wake of House of Ten. No, House of X. Those X's, I tell you. Just contemplating what Xavier knows is at stake for the future of mutant kind and Moira's lives, and then still needing to put up with just random student-run minors and lecturer murder. All of it kind of continues to put the question in my head, why aren't they on Krakoa yet? What was actually the holdup yet? What, what are you waiting for, Professor X? Easily the most memorable, in all the wrong ways, part of Uncanny 196 is Kitty Pride responding to one of Charlie's would-be assassins calling her a mutie by calling the black man the N-word. Like, the whole ass word uncensored and right there on the page for posterity. Not for the first time either, as Kitty, and let's be clear here, writer Chris Claremont, does the same thing in God Loves, Man Kills, an earlier graphic novel, which is otherwise quite excellent. The use here is deeply flawed reasoning and drawing parallels of prejudice that simply do not work. Since Marvel can't be bothered to throw up some disclaimers, I'll certainly say I can understand if you don't want to waltz into a Secret Wars 2 tie-in to find uh, heavy racial slurs. Otherwise, my biggest takeaway is Rachel's clear love for Kate. When Kitty is threatened, Rachel responds, My Kate! and flies off to save her without any help. Much like Ileana, these female relationships from the Claremont run are a big part of the queer subtext fans continue to discuss in comics today, and why things like characters interacting in the recent Excalibur number 10, a very good issue, is such a big deal to fans. 
On a final note, shortly after his debut in Uncanny, it's also kind of wild to go back and see that Nimrod had a weirdly strong PR game, appealing to the bigoted anti-mutant populace as evidenced by the bro spray painting, Nimrod number one, beauties die, on the wall like some kind of racist sports cheer. This is far from the focus of the issue, but given Nimrod's star turn and powers of 10, it's interesting to see the ways the mutant hunting machine has been turning human allies all along. Returning to New Mutants for two issues and an epilogue, we get a brutal knockout battle against the Beyonder, who takes a particular interest in tormenting Ileana and the team. It's worth noting, too, that these issues are penciled by Mary Wilshire with Bill Sienkiewicz inks to give proper credit where it's due, because obviously the run is, is most commonly thought of as Claremont and Sienkiewicz, but Mary Wilshire plays a crucial role here as well. The Beyonder shows up and decides to remove Ileana's dark child presence and ties to Limbo. While this is actually pretty great for Ileana to finally be free, it also connects Kitty once again to the realm, and releases the demons of Limbo on Earth in their never-ending quest to unleash the Elder Ones and conquer all that is. In order to stop the demon hordes from invading Earth, this time at least, and to save Kitty, Ileana sacrifices her short-lived innocence and takes the dark, dark child back into herself, re-establishing her ties to Limbo and, you know, kind of as she says, becoming evil. As we know, this will be particularly relevant approaching Inferno, and I would say even today, I think it's easy to forget, you know, Kitty's ties to Ileana, Kitty's ties to the realm of Limbo, and of course, everything that Ileana has had to put up with as a person, she has a very, very traumatic childhood. New Mutants number 37 is the most brutal tie-in of the bunch, and one of the most striking, as the Beyonder responds to Ileana's refusal of his gift, his warped interpretation of that sequence of events, by viciously and torturously murdering the entire team. Danny Moonstar's new Valkyrie powers allow her to foretell her teammates' deaths, but there's still nothing she nor the team can do to stop the Beyonder on a mission. This is honestly the most bloodthirsty and pure evil I think the Beyonder gets across the entire event, not only killing the new mutants, but erasing their memories from the world from everyone as well. The entire experience is deeply traumatic for the New Mutants and will follow them into future issues, as even though their lives are returned in Secret Wars 2 number 9, the final issue of that event, the team is in a depressed, traumatized, zombie-like state until finally Headmaster Magneto, this is post-Uncanny X-Men number 200 and Mags is formally in charge, which is a fascinating time in and of itself, decides to send the students, the New Mutants, to Emma Frost's Massachusetts Academy alongside the original Hellions. This is definitely something I give Claremont a ton of credit for, as a writer and a creator, taking Secret Wars 2, a very bad event, taking those tie-ins and turning it into a really interesting new direction for the New Mutants, actually following up on that quite thoroughly. Meanwhile, on Uncanny X-Men number 202 into 203, we get the Rachel Summers Phoenix vs. the Beyonder throwdown this has all been building up to. In addition to the Beyonder's actions against the New Mutants, which only Kitty Pride can remember, Rachel is especially hellbent on killing the Beyonder because he plans to destroy the X-Men, and possibly all life, on the merest of whims. While this is a very valid concern, Rachel's plan to destroy the universe, including the Beyonder, is met with some resistance by Storm. I can't imagine why. Oddly, even with the Phoenix, Rachel isn't quite a match for the Beyonder. Her blasts literally do nothing, until he grants her some of his power as another one of his tiring experiments to just kind of see what what happens when you do things. Like, that's the Beyonder's deal. While he grants her enough power to kill him, he also attacks the X-Men with Sentinels, forcing Rachel to choose between killing him or saving her friends. To Rachel's credits, she chooses the X-Men, of course, as one does when you're a member of the X-Men. It's only on Uncanny X-Men number 203, including one of my favorite John Romita Jr. era X-Men double-page spreads ever, that Rachel decides she's going to travel inside the M-Cron crystal, like her mother Jean Grey once did, and wipe out all life in order to end the threat of the Beyonder. 
After sensing so many sentient beings, though, Rachel eventually backs down, and even gets the Beyonder to do the same by sharing the experience with him, but there's no doubting she was very close, and it's an interesting insight into, again, the power of Rachel Summers. I think when we think Phoenix now in 2020, we so typically think of Jean Grey, and of course with good reason for the saga there, but Rachel Summers' connections to the entity, and the, the abilities that she's had, and the fact that she almost wiped out literally all life. What would that have meant for the plans of Krakoa? Nothing good, of course. That's fascinating to me. I think Rachel has a key role to play. While I don't anticipate the Beyonders' reemergence in Hickman's X-Men, although, you know, can we rule out 2015 Secret Wars Beyonders? The interesting tie-in to me is how the X-Men and mutant kind have seen and reacted to absolute cosmic level powers, and what they might be prepared to do to secure mutant safety in the future. There's so much focus on securing Krakoa in the here and now, against human hate, against Nimrod and the machine devastation, but as we've seen with the Phalanx and Powers of Ten, there are some even larger potential threats. What about Galactus deciding Krakoa is looking like a snack? What about a return of the Beyonder? What about Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet? I don't think these are questions that Professor X, Magneto, Moira, Apocalypse, and whoever else are ignoring. I think whatever Moira's true schemes are for making this lifeline, the one where mutant wins, where the mutants win, and it takes all these types of entities into account. I think it has to. But what would that have to look like to ensure power on that level? I think that is the absolute question. Thanks for listening to this first edition of X-Men Milestones and the 59th episode of Kraken Krakoa. I'd like to thank in particular everybody over at patreon.com slash comicbookherald for supporting the site. If you're interested in finding out how you can support Comic Book Herald, reading orders, and content like this, and uh, get some cool bonuses and benefits on the way, check them out at that site. And uh, in particular, I want to thank Mysterious Benefactors. These are people who support at the Mysterious Benefactors tier over on patreon.com slash comicbookherald. We have a couple new ones, Cole Weathers. And Martin Lopez, thank you very much for your support. Jeff Zacharias, Ron Paul Kirkley, Jesse W., Slatron, Robert Mickelson, Professor Pride, and Steve Brennan, thank you so much for your support of Comic Book Herald. I'm Dave. You can find me at comicbookherald.com or at comicbookherald online. Look for the best comics ever and my Marvelous Year podcast, my Marvelous Year in particular, will give you the opportunity to read along with us. Free to play, of course. We include all the issues that we're reading week by week using Marvel Unlimited in the show notes, and I would greatly encourage you to do so if you're interested in reading X-Men history at a curated level alongside a very, very fun community. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and as always, enjoy the comics. (laughs) 